Amen. So uh, Elster tells me that you've been working or starting to look at the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible there, I'd love you to open it up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to, actually we're going to hop around a bit, so um, maybe you've got it on the phone or something like that. Uh, you've got the Bible there. I, I'm old school. I like, I left my Bible at church. I was at the first service at our church this morning. I left my Bible there, so I'm borrowing Elster's. So I love a uh, paper Bible, and I encourage you to get into it and read it for as much as you can. So we come to the end, our passage today is at the end of Acts chapter 2, but I just wanted to cover off some stuff before we get to the passage we're going to look at. Uh, I love the book of Acts. It's full of action, it's full of excitement, it's full of movement, and um, one of the reasons why I like it is because of the author. The author is, as we know, Luke, and so Acts is actually part two. We have the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke all about Jesus' life, and then we have uh, number two, Acts, which is uh, what happened after Jesus disappeared. And I like the fact that Luke was a uh, doctor. And that, you know, I don't know about you, but last time I went to a doctor, uh, he was pretty factual. He wanted to know particular things about what was wrong with me and what was going on. And I felt like I could trust him, like he was telling the truth. And so we have Acts chapter 2 is this book written by a doctor who's looked into the details and he's studied it and he's, and he's uh, made sure what he's saying is correct. And so Luke's Gospel and uh, Acts, uh, these amazing books where uh, we have this uh, authority, this truth, these details that we can look into. So just skimming through where we're up to today, uh, Acts chapter 1, um, Jesus is, has, has ascended the end of Luke, and he picks it up in the, uh, with the disciples all meeting together in the upper room, and Jesus has told them to go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and um, then on, uh, we see the Holy Spirit come in Acts chapter 2, and uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, and the day of Pentecost came, and this is the fulfillment of so many promises from the Old Testament. This day has is, is been long anticipated. On that day, uh, when that day came, uh, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. You'll know this passage very well. And that filled the whole house with us, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separating from the rest on each of them. All of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, everyone starts going, what's going on? You know, the town is buzzing, and people are, people on the street, What's going on in that place? They're all being drunk. Maybe that happened this morning as people were walking past. Peter stands up and he says, No, this isn't, this isn't, you know, people haven't been drinking, it's only early in the morning. This is the promise. He goes through that beautiful um, uh, Peter, this is Peter who was just recently broken, <laughs> broken to the point of despair, and Jesus restores him. He gives this beautiful speech about the promises, uh, and this is what was promised of old. All, all people, young and old, uh, men and women, everyone's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do the people respond? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, this is the truth of the gospel, the promise, how the people respond. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said uh, to the other apostles, uh, apostles, 
they asked him, what should we do? He replied, be baptized, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he uh, just encourages them to receive those gifts. And we see this incredible outpouring. And he, um, he encourages them. So we have this amazing backdrop to the passage I want to speak on this morning. The fulfillment of the long-awaited promise, the excitement of the Holy Spirit coming, the building shaking, the Holy Spirit's resting on people, uh, people are starting to speak in all sorts of languages, people on the street uh, are like, what's going on? And they start coming in and they start being saved. On that day, 3,000 of them were saved. They come out on the street. The Holy Spirit doing some amazing stuff. I was part of a church in London uh, for several years, and we had, I don't know if you've ever been a part of something when it's, when it's humming, when something amazing is happening. And we were a part of this church for several years, and there was prison ministries going on, and the outpouring to the Holy Spirit. There's all sorts of stuff going on. We were part of it. We, we just didn't realize what was happening. Maybe because we were just part of it, and it just became normal. And so what's happening here, even in the worship this morning, you guys are probably normal, used to that. That's probably your normal, I don't know. That's an amazing expression of uh, this like Holy Spirit moment, when the Holy Spirit's in the room. People come into this space, and they sense God's presence in that worship. Now the Spirit, Spirit's working, eh? And so it's that same excitement and that same stuff going on, that buzz that is happening. And it's the stuff that changed the world. And it's still changing the world today. And the amazing part of it is that we are invited into that journey today. So my question for you this morning, because I'm Anglican, we have lots of questions. Doesn't mean we have the answers, we just talk how to have good questions. My question for you this morning is, what was the outcome of the Spirit coming? What was the outcome of that uh, promise, the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit coming? What was the outcome of that? Take a, take a second, turn to the person next to you, and just talk to them for a moment about what you think the outcome of that day was. Go for it, for one minute. Everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to those in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who have been saved. Have you ever thought about the outcome of Pentecost being a community? We often, as I said, we often think about the power, the healing, the miracle. But actually, all of these things take place in a community or out of a community. It's not an isolation. And God never does anything isolation. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 12, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'm showing you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you, I will curse, and the people on earth will be blessed through you. The call of Abraham, the very start of the Bible, uh, God calling Abraham, God calling Israel, and that God's plan is for them to bring a blessing to the world, call other people. As you, I'm not going to go through it all, it takes you long, but you can, you can check it out yourself. As you go through the Old Testament, what is God doing? He's got a people, a community. His people gathered together, following his rules, his ways, being a blessing to all people. What do we see after the day of Pentecost? God calling our people from all nations to be his people, to follow his ways, to be a blessing to other people. What are we called to do as God's people today? What's he doing today? calling us into a community. So calling us to follow his ways, to be his disciples, to be his apprentices, and to bring blessing to other people, so to call them to him. So what we see in this little passage is in uh, the end of Acts is not a mistake. It's not just a byproduct of, of what we're going to do now. This is the gospel message. This is the mission of God. He's always been calling people to himself bring blessing. And we know those promises, don't we? Those promises that we have. So three, uh, four things. I'm not going to have three points, but today I've got four. Four things we can learn. Uh, you might have heard, um, you might hear from time to time someone say, oh, if only we could go back to that Acts 2 church, to that gathering. Uh, if we could just be like them. We can't. We, we live in a very different culture. We live in a very different time. Our, our uh, communities run differently. But there are principles that we can, we can apply to ourselves and that we can learn uh, to, to do. So the first point I want to make is actually, there's no mistake here. This is something that people devoted themselves to. This wasn't an accident. Uh, I've started playing uh, football in the last couple of years. And I want to be good at football. I'm a little bit competitive. I've got five boys. So, you know, they're all trying to be taller than me. And they probably will be. But every time that they come home now, we have a measuring competition. Arm wrestling. Who's the strongest? That's, I'm still the winner of that one. 
I'm quite proud of that. But uh, the competitive nature of wanting to be good at football causes me to put things into my life to make me better. So I go for a run. I try and get fit. I go to practice. I try and learn some new skills. And it's the same when it comes to being a community. We have to put these things, we choose intentionally to do these things. They don't happen by accident. And so if we want to be a community, my challenge for you today, as your, in your community, is as we go through these four points, where are you sitting in, in these things? On a scale of one to ten, where are you sitting? And what do you need to put in individually and as corporately to go up and, and keep pushing into this, this promise of God? So the first thing, first thing they did in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the breaking of bread and prayer. First thing they did, first type of community they wanted to be was a learning community. A learning community. They wanted their thinking to be shaped by the word, by God's word. And so as a church community and as individual disciples, how are you doing in that space of learning? Being open to be uh, to have your mind shaped by um, the word. First thing you actually have to do is get the word in you. You know, we talk about it uh, quite a lot, but how many of us are actually reading the word, letting it soak into us? Um, you know, it talks about consuming the word. And uh, you know, if I went through your Netflix account and how many movies you watch for school, or Disney Plus, or whatever it is, versus how much time you spent in Scripture. Now we know this, don't we? We know that what goes in shapes who we become. And so if we're not letting the Word just even, man, I miss the Word. If I go without the Word, or if someone preached, I have to read the Word. But if I, if I go without the Word for a little while, in my own personal life, I just miss it. Yeah, All right? right? I want to hear it. I want it to be seeping through me. And even if it's not studying it or going deeper, you know, doing good theology things with it, just letting it wash over me. So the first thing they do is they, they devote themselves. They're intentional about getting the Word of God deep within them. How are you doing today? Just, and if you're not doing very well, just start. Get a Bible, just read it for 10 minutes each day. Put a, um, a Bible, everyone's got a Bible app. Uh, put it on while you're driving to work, just have a word uh, on the radio instead of now nah, listen to some nonsense on the radio. <laughs> you know, my kids are in the car. Why, why, why do they have scripture playing? Yeah. Shapes us, it really does. It's true. All of that. Second point, uh, verse 43. So the first point is that they devoted themselves to living out the practice of teaching, being teachable, always wanting to learn more about um, God. Second thing, everyone, uh, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Many wonders and signs performed. This new community was one that prayed for the supernatural. I don't think I'm going to have to push this point very hard for you guys. But I think as a church, it's... Uh, we need to learn to do this again. 
We need to learn to hear what the Spirit is saying and push into praying for the impossible. I lead the church and have done for some time, and I find myself, someone comes to me with a cancer diagnosis, and I say, oh, what are the doctors doing for you? What are you getting hospice care? Those things are important. My first response is, can we pray for the impossible? Can we pray for a miracle? Can we pray for signs and wonders to happen today, like in the day? Because I know in my head, I know that, I know that God, um, you know, we're taught, but my first response is often practical and and, 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 and that, both of them are really important, don't get me wrong. But my first response should always be, let's pray for the impossible. Let's ask the Spirit to do what only He can do. We ask uh, God to help us in all of these things. So that's, that, that part of it is really just about remembering. Remembering who we are and what we believe. Yes, yes there's God's given us medical people, uh, all of these things. But actually, we can pray and ask for the possible in all of our life, in every, everything we do. So we have a community that's learning together, pushing into God's word. We have a community that is asking for the supernatural signs and wonders. Thirdly, verse 44. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Who here? <laughs> that's a good line, isn't it? Had everything in common. Because we just don't. It's crazy if you think about having everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions and gave to everyone in need. And this is challenging stuff, isn't it? I call this part being family. Not just being in a group, not being part of a club and pick and choose, but being family. Because it's family that you do these things for. When, uh, as I said, I had five boys, and uh, all of them, three of them are off at university. And uh, over the years, another one's gone, another one's gone, another one's gone. But one thing that hasn't changed is, Mum, Dad, can you help me? <laughs> can you give us some money for a new computer? Uh, my car's broken down. Can't afford the insurance. And what's my response to as a father? I'll do what I can to help. And I'll give what I can give to help. And when it comes to family, versus if it was someone else's kid bringing up, can I supply you for a computer? No, you can't. It's my own children. Let's see what we can do. And this is what we see as part of this community that they become. They become a family. You see the need of someone, or hear about a need from someone over here, you don't just go, oh, that's good, or that's bad luck for them. Maybe someone else at the back of the room will take care of that. As family, deeply connected, so what can we do? You know, they sell, they sell what they have, and they give, they give their possessions and property to anyone who was in need. Family, uh, deep connection. All, um, all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had them. Incredible, again, on that scale of 1 to 10, 
How are you going? When you hear someone in the church who has a need, you, you start praying for them, you start giving, you start supporting. People with down children, it's a, it's a really busy time of life. How can you support? All those sort of questions. Community, community. Fourthly, and finally, I know I'm going to do three points, so I didn't get any time today. Uh, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who had been saved. The fourth thing is they were a growing community. And so my question for you guys this morning is how wide are your doors? How wide are the doors, not just for this gathering, but your doors at home? The doors to your family. We have, uh, over the years, invited many people into our home for meals. And uh, even with five children, people are sort of wonder at that. But we, we're intentional about having open doors. In our lives. When, uh, when I was first trained to be a priest, I went to, uh, I was in charge, put in charge of home groups, small groups, and I went to this home group that had been uh, full of these lovely old ladies. I think the youngest one might have been about 78. And uh, they'd been meeting together for a long, long time in this home group. And I was this young, uh, keen pup. And uh, I was telling them, you know, what you need to do is uh, invite people to your group, have open doors. And then uh, one of the ladies who was, who was slightly deaf, and she said out loud, because she said quite loudly out loud, invite someone. We haven't invited on someone since 1978. <laughs> <laughs> just wasn't in, in their nature or their thinking that they should have, a, have an open door policy as part of their group. But there's a cost to having an open door policy. Because we get comfortable, don't we, with what we know and who we know. And it's always a step to uh, get uncomfortable and get into people's lives and get into the mess of people's lives and invite them in. I uh, had another experience with a church. Uh, it was a boot church. Everything they did was shaped to have open doors. From the notices you give, from the language we speak. And uh, that was part of their, um, their success. Someone comes into this place, are they going to feel welcome? And it was shaped for the person that wasn't in the room. I think it's a great place for us to get towards as a church and as individuals. So the outcome of the Holy Spirit, one of the outcomes of the day of Pentecost, was this new community of disciples, followers of Jesus. And what did they do? They devoted themselves uh, to living out certain practices. They devoted themselves to learning. They both devoted themselves to asking for the impossible, for signs and wonders. Uh, they became a family deeply connected that shared what they had in really practical ways. And they had doors that were wide open. This became their new life, their way of following Jesus. And this is where I'm going to land this morning. As I said at the start, this is God's plan throughout history. 
And we look to Abraham, God calling him and calling him to bless other people. And when we make our way through the Bible, if you want to make your way, do the cheap version, go to Hebrews 11. Look at the list of faithful people who God called to bless uh, you know, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, David, Saul. God's people, God called people to be a blessing to change the world. Acts chapter 2, as we just read, all the believers were of one heart and mind. If you, if you move forward into Acts chapter 4, at the end of Acts chapter 4, there's another passage talking about the community, saying how they had everything in common, they believed in Jesus. If you go to Acts chapter 5, you see another account. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. Could keep on going. You are the new community now. That's where I'm heading. What are the challenges that you have in front of you? You know, if you analyze and think about those four things, where, where, where are you sitting? Not just corporately, but individually. Down through history, God is calling people to himself, be a blessing to others, and that continues today. God is still calling people. People who devote themselves to serve.